everybody. I got a couple of quick announcements for us as we continue uh, in our service and gathering and worship uh, together this morning. I uh, wanted to just remind you that this week is our missions garage sale that's taking place, not here at Indian Creek, but in the Sugar Grove campus. Uh, but it's one of those things that we do as all Village Bible Church. We all participate in this, and it is uh, one of the biggest impacts that we have on our surrounding communities. So as we uh, just get to come together, we have so many people who come through the doors of the church who may never come through the door of the church for any other reason but the fact that there is a wonderful garage sale uh, where they can come and, and find clothing and stuff for their homes at a, at a reasonable price just be a great blessing to them. But not only that, that, but it's just a reminder, as we do this, all the funds that the church raises through this garage sale uh, go to support missions. Uh, whether that's short-term missions trips that are going, going on, like uh, Julie this summer, you got a missions trip coming up that you're going to be going on to Alaska. And uh, uh, so lots of people from the different campuses going on those trips. It helps uh, raise funds to support them in going. It helps support the uh, long-term missionary partners that we have. And so this is not one of those things that we do just to try to uh, continue to add to the church, but we use this as a means to bless the community around us and bless the world and our missionary partners at the same time. So I'd uh, love to invite you to come out. It's going to be Friday and Saturday at the Sugar Grove campus. Go check it out for yourself. Go shop. Uh, have a great time. Also, if you'd love to go and help serve. Uh, they'd love for that as well. So lots of hands go into making this thing happen. Uh, Friday morning, if you're not busy and you'd love to, uh, because you're a great person and it'd be wonderful, I'm going to be parking cars. Uh, so if you want to come and park cars with me, you think, what? Who needs to park cars? Because I mean, we're used to Indian Creek, where we got one row of parking spots to go around the church. It's mayhem as thousands of people come to kick off the garage sale. And so it's just one way where we get to bless those who are coming. So I'd love for you to come and join me in that. So uh, that'd be Friday morning. So talk to me if you are interested at all in serving with the garage sale. I can help plug you in and figure out where you need to go to do that. Uh, we also have, speaking of missions, an opportunity that's coming up to fellowship with some of our missionaries from Argentina. So if that's something that you'd love to uh, get to meet with them and hear a little bit about what they're doing, you are invited to be part of that. It's just a casual night, to kind of a meet and greet kind of time to meet Tito and Adriana Ramirez. Uh, it's going to be on Saturday, June 3rd, so it's kind of coming up a little bit uh, somewhat short notice. But if that's something you'd be interested in, we really encourage you. They would love for you to sign up for that just so they have an idea of how many people are coming. Because if it turns out there's going to be a bunch of people coming, uh, maybe someone's living room might not be quite enough. So if you're planning on going to that, uh, make sure you uh, go on the website. You can find it on the website and just sign up and say, hey, I'd love to be part of that. Uh, they kind of have an idea that you are coming to be part of it. Uh, we have been talking for some time uh, now about VBS coming up this summer. Uh, this is a great ministry we get to do. Uh, we, we always love, we normally have around 25 kids come out and participate. We have a lot of fun, lots of great activities, snacks, crafts, lessons where these young children get to learn about the Lord. But here is the reality. Many hands go into making that possible. And so this summer we've got some of the youth group kids and Josh and Sam are kind of heading this up. And some of you guys have expressed some interest. We would... Please uh, love to have you come and be part of that. Maybe you don't want to be a high energy and with all the kids the entire time, but we've got places that you can be serving. This is a church effort. This is not just a youth group thing. This is not just something that a couple people do, but we'd love for you to come be part of it. And so to help make that more feasible, uh, this year we have moved it to the evening instead of the morning because we know that people work and you're busy. And so we thought, well, maybe in the evening it would be a great time to get the church together throughout the week. So it's going to be 
on the evenings of July 11th to the 14th. Uh, if you are interested uh, or just want to hear a little bit more, find out what it may look like for you to be part of it and to serve uh, the children of our church and the children of our community, talk to Josh or Sam. They've got all the details for it. They're going to be heading it up this year and having a great time. So love to have you come out. Love for all the kids. Any kids, you guys going to VBS this summer? Yeah, I see hands. I see hands in the sound booth even. That's awesome. It's super cool. And our elder Bill Warner, super wonderful. Oh, it is, yes, it's, it's July. July, not June. It's July 11th to the 14th. That, don't ignore that June on there. Uh, that's, that's actually spelled July. If you just kind of move the letters around a little bit, July 11th to the 14th, it will be great. Um, we also have our small groups kicking back up. We've been taking a little bit of a break right now. Uh, we're going to be starting a new series for this summer called Follow Me. Uh, we're going to be spending some time looking at the earliest disciples of Jesus and what it meant for them to follow Christ and kind of their stories. And hopefully as we study that together, we will be encouraged and challenged in our own following of Christ. And so if you would be interested uh, in joining a small group, maybe you've never been a part of a small group, talk to me. Love to plug you into one of those. We'll be meeting throughout the the summer just as we follow through the sermon series with that and have some conversations in, in living rooms. Of, what does this really look like? How can we encourage each other as we follow Christ? How can we follow the example of all those who have gone before us that following Christ would be something that we take so seriously in our lives. So we have, as a church, constructed a kind of a little booklet, packet. Uh, so whether or not you want to do small group or not, we've got some of those available down by the entry. You can grab it. It's got a kind of a little study guide to go with each of the, the sermons that we're going to be addressing over the summer. So uh, feel free to grab one if there's one available. If there's not, uh, you can go on the website and, and uh, you should have gotten an email this week too to uh, request one of those and we can get one of those in print for you. Though they will also be available online if you're one of those modern people and like to be uh, up to date. You can use it digitally as well. Um, so love to have you uh, join in on one of those. Just a great time of gathering, doing, having some fellowship over the summer months. Um, I have one more announcement that there is no slide for. Um, and this is just something I wanted to communicate with all of you. Many of you uh, know this already, uh, but the church has uh, offered and given Bree and I an opportunity to take some time this summer on a sabbatical. Uh, so for the, the summer months, June, July, and August, uh, we'll be stepping away from our responsibilities uh, here at the church uh, for those months. Uh, so that means you're going to be seeing lots of other faces doing things. Bill's going to be preaching uh, pretty much all summer for us, so you can thank him for that. Uh, but many of you guys are stepping up to take on some responsibilities in different areas. Uh, but we are so thankful for this opportunity. Just wanted, we're not in trouble or anything like that. Uh, we're not leaving the church. Uh, the, the guiding elders have just uh, given us an opportunity to say, let's uh, invest in, in our marriage and our family to take a time to kind of rest and, and recuperate, to come back in the fall and, and look at the years ahead and be really energized and seek the Lord in it so that uh, we continue to serve and move forward and minister here in Indian Creek and uh, see all that God has in store for us. So we're we're thankful for the opportunity. Uh, we're going to be uh, taking some trips. So we're going to be in and out quite a bit this summer, going to visit family. Bree and I uh, handing our kids off to her parents for a little bit. We're going to get away uh, just by ourselves for some time to invest in our marriage and 
Uh, so we're really looking forward to it, but also recognize it's going to be very different for all of us uh, during the summer months. So I just uh, wanted to inform you of that and let you know that uh, that's what we're going to be doing. We will be in and out. We're going to be around the summer season. It's not like you're not going to see us. Uh, we're going to be here, but we're also going to take some opportunity to go. We're going to visit some other churches and uh, kind of see what other people in our area are doing, see if we can learn some stuff from our brothers and sisters in Christ that may do things a little bit differently than we do, uh, uh, maybe be an encouragement to them even, but just to have some time this summer to do that and to kind of look ahead uh, and prepare ourselves for the years down the road. And so if you've got questions about what that means or any of that, please talk to me. We'd love to have a conversation, but uh, just to want to put that on your radar that in a couple of weeks, you're going to start to see a lot of Bill Warner preaching. You're going to see a lot of other people uh, doing some of the things that Bree and I are doing kind of on a weekend and week out basis, uh, just as we so are, are so thankful for those of you who are kind of stepping up and filling some of our roles uh, for the summer months. So um, with that, uh, I am going to do something a little bit unique uh, today. We did it last week. Uh, we don't often do this, but uh, for the sake of uh, kind of being in a mo- period of transition between our sermon series, as we dismiss our kids, kids, you can all go breeze in the back. You can go find her uh, for your class. I'm going to have the rest of you stand, actually greet one another, and I have one thing. What is your favorite holiday? Favorite holiday, not favorite season not favorite desserts or foods, but your favorite holiday. It's going to matter. Go ahead. Stand up and greet one another. Go where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow. All right, what do you guys got? What are some of our favorite holidays? I heard Thanksgiving. See, Thanksgiving was popular. Thanksgiving was popular. I heard some Mother's Day thrown in there. So those of you who love Mother's Day, I'm so glad that you just got to enjoy your favorite holiday. 
I'll be honest with you, I think my favorite holiday, if I had to pick, and I know it's maybe a copycat to so many of you guys, uh, but I've, I would pick Thanksgiving. Um, but there's a reason for that. Um, my birthday is normally right around Thanksgiving. Sometimes my birthday lands on Thanksgiving, and I think that's the greatest thing in the world because I just pretend that everybody is thankful for me on that Thanksgiving. So that's why I love Thanksgiving. Plus, there's always great food, and I love to eat that stuff. But uh, holidays are such an interesting thing. There's so many holidays. Did you guys know that there is a specialness to today? You're like, wait a minute. I thought next week was Memorial Day. It is. Today's not Memorial Day. It's not the 4th of July. Today is May 21st. And today is International Tea Day. So any tea lovers? Okay, so this is the day. This is your day where coffee gets put to the side and tea reigns supreme because it's International Tea Day. Also, also, I bet you didn't know this, but it is National Talk Like Yoda Day. So for the rest of today's service, you have to interact with each other as if you were Yoda. Ben, this is for you. This is for you. This is great. Uh, we, uh, we love our holidays. Uh, we got so many holidays. And the, the crazy thing and the beautiful thing about holidays is if you actually look at the, the they are a holiday. They are a holy day. Uh, not necessarily in the sacredness of the Lord or anything like that, but these holy days, meaning that they are days that we have set aside, we have identified as special days for special reasons. And so there's a reason for the things that we do. There's a reason we celebrate mothers like we did uh, last week. There's a reason we celebrate Thanksgiving and all of the different holidays. But uh, some holidays, if we're honest, have kind of wandered or strayed from their original intent. They almost have become just another reason to have a cookout or to hang out with friends. Uh, we've lost kind of the reason that made them a, I don't know if you would from a pulpit allow it, a holy day. What made them so special? We have many things in our lives that we have set apart for something special, something sacred. This morning, I want us to spend some time as we uh, gather together to look in the book of Isaiah, and we're going to be looking at the holiness of God, obviously on a totally different scale, totally different uh, conversation than the holidays that we have. But sometimes what happens as we approach uh, talking about the holiness of God is we have begun to think of God's holiness in some ways like we begin to treat some of the holidays that we have. Where it's something great, we like to appreciate the holiness of God, but we have lost sight of what truly makes him holy. And so we kind of craft God into this uh, cute little caricature of a holy God, and we've lost a bit of the sense of just the awe and wonder of who God truly is. So last week, uh, we started this little short mini-sermon series uh, called Awesome God. We're uh, kind of filling in between uh, looking at Ephesians and who we are in Christ and this summer series we're going to be doing about following Christ and taking some weeks to say, who is God? Who is this God that we follow? And last week we talked about God being this awesome God, that he is supreme over all these, all creation. And we talked about all these different areas of life where God reigns supreme in our response to that. And this morning I want to turn our attention to just talk about his 
holiness, as we take time to understand and know who God is so that we can join with the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 9 where God is speaking to the people, say, if you have a boast in anything, your boast should be in that you know and understand me. So as we gather as his people, let that be our boast that we have come to understand and to know our God. Now as we look to the scriptures and what they have to say about God's holiness, they declare that God is holy unlike any other. Exodus chapter 15, who is like you, majestic in holiness. 1 Samuel 2, there is no one holy like the Lord. Revelation 15, you alone are holy, it says of our God. The Bible speaks of God's moral purity, of his holiness in this. In Job 34, far be it from God to do wickedness or to do wrong. Habakkuk chapter 1, your eyes are too pure to approve evil. You cannot look on wickedness. We're told that God's very name is holy. Psalm 111, holy and awesome is his name. Isaiah 57, thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. There's so much that the scriptures have to say of the holiness of God. There's so much that we could learn about the holiness of God. There's so much we could say about the holiness of God. But we are also invited to know the holiness of God. Not just intellectually, not just academically, but to know the holiness of God by glimpsing it with the eyes of our hearts, by tasting of his holiness in our souls, by perceiving it in our faith. So this morning as we look to Isaiah chapter 6, we get an opportunity to come alongside Isaiah as he sees a vision of the throne room of heaven. Isaiah 6 verses 1 through 7. Let's turn our attention there. He writes, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, who the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King." the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Our Father, as we come before you today and open your word, show us a glimpse of your holiness. Father, I pray that as we take these days to look at who you are, our awesome God,
that you would show yourself more clearly and more fully to us. That we would boast in the fact that we know you. And so, Father, give us a sense of awe, reverence, that we might honor you as the thrice holy God who alone is worthy of our praise. So be honored now in the preaching of your word. Be honored in our reception of your word that by it you might move in our hearts and draw us closer to yourself. We pray all these things, trusting fully in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, Isaiah starts the record of his vision of the throne room of God by kind of dating it. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, it's kind of interesting that he might start with that because uh, some of us are like, who's King Uzziah? Right? Well, why, why is that important at all? Well, King Uzziah, he may not rank in the kings of Israel or Judah as like David or Solomon, but King Uzziah was a wonderful king for many, 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 many years. He reigned as king over Judah for over 50 years. And he did so, especially early in his reign, very righteously. He did what was right in the sight of God, and and Israel prospered under his reign. And then near the end of his life, he kind of took some liberties that he shouldn't have taken. He went to burn incense in the the temple on his own, and the Lord didn't like that, and he struck him with leprosy, and he ended the the last few years of his life in isolation as a man who was unclean because he was leprous. But for so many years, he marked a, a, a time and an age of prosperity in his leadership of the nation as he followed God. So here, Uzziah dies, and that's when uh, God sees fit to give Isaiah this vision of the throne room. And so in the, in the time when Uzziah is, is dead and no longer on his throne, Isaiah gets to see into heaven itself and see that uh, while Uzziah may not be on his throne, God is on his throne. While Uzziah may have passed away and is no longer with him, the Lord is alive and he is reigning and ruling supreme. And so this wonderful vision invited into it that in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of change, in the midst of grief for a nation, Isaiah says, oh, there's so much to, to celebrate in our great and awesome God. For our God is a king, unlike even King Uzziah, unlike King David, unlike uh, the, the great kings of our history, unlike the great kings of the world, our God is king supreme over all of them. He is holy and lifted up. And so we see right away, he sees him seated on a throne high and lifted up. This is not just any throne, but a throne that is elevated, it is set apart, unlike those of the world. We see that uh, the train of his robe filled the temple, and for us, we're like, well, what significance does that have? But in their day, the the length of a king's robe meant something. It signified their dignity, their authority, that they could sit on their throne and execute their reign because any of you women who ever had a train at your wedding, you know how difficult it is to move around with one of those. And so that's our, our context now where we may look at uh, these beautiful brides and see the photographer spending what feels like hours and hours and hours positioning the train of a, of a dress to be just so perfect. But for the kings and rulers of their day, it, it signified their power. It signified their dignity. It signified their authority. And Isaiah is saying, listen, it, the Lord's filled the temple. 
So if you were to imagine having a, a wedding here at the Indian Creek campus, uh, how beautiful that would be, and a bride standing up here on the stage with, with a train going down on the floor, but instead imagine that that train covers all the seats and moves to and fro throughout the entire room. And as a matter of fact, it goes out in the hallway and down the stairs. That As you enter the building, the, the train of her dress is everywhere. It's magnificent. It's beautiful. It's spectacular. And that's this vision that, that, that doesn't even pale in comparison to the glory of God whose train filled the entire temple. It was everywhere you looked. And in the midst of all this, there are these seraphim, verse 2 tells us, these angelic beings in all of their own glory and all of their own uh, beauty and their terror, sinless as they are, but still created beings ministering to God ministering to this great king and and it's so interesting that they, it says that they have these six wings these frightening creatures right by the way every time angels showed up before man what happens fear not fear not don't be afraid like these are creatures that man's eyes would look upon and be like oh my goodness and here they with two of their wings cover their face with two they cover their feet and with two they fly as they are with them shielding themselves from the holiness of god that with all their beauty, with all their, uh, their awesomeness as these angelic seraphim, they hide themselves from the fullness of God's glory. And he's painting this picture for us that, man, as, as you enter into this and you see the throne room of heaven, you're, this God that we serve is not just some measly little God. He is not just some great God. He is a magnificent God. He is a holy God completely and utterly set apart. And these angels, as they minister in the throne room, cry out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And I mean, it says something to declare that God is a holy God. But these angels, these seraphim, are not simply crying out, holy is the Lord. Nor are they just saying, holy, holy is the Lord, but holy, holy, holy. I mean, for us today, that might be like taking the word holy, throwing it on the screen, and you're going to bold it, you're going to underline it, you're going to italicize it, you are going to highlight it, you are going to circle it, and then you're going to take something and go, holy, holy, holy is God, as they emphasize the great holiness of our God. So significant is his holiness that as we come before it, we have to recognize that, as A.A. Hodge says, the holiness of God isn't to be conceived as just one attribute among others, but it is rather a general term representing the conception of God's consummate perfection and total glory. In other words, there's not just part of God that is holy. It is all of God that is holy in everything. And as these angels declare this holiness of God, I mean, to try to understand this. Put yourself there. If you've got to close your eyes for a second, don't fall asleep. But try to picture and put yourself in the scene. You're seeing all this. And you're hearing these voices of the seraphim crying out one to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And as they do, verse 4 tells us that the foundations of the thresholds shook. Now, a few weeks ago, uh, we were here for Sunday morning, and it was a windy morning. I don't know if you remember this. And the wind was howling outside, and it actually felt like the building was starting to shake. I, I watched as many of you started looking at that wall, wondering, 
are we going to be okay? At their voices, the foundations of the thresholds shook. This is not just some voice like yours or mine. You got to what voices would bring shaking into the foundations of the of the temple? A frightful scene. A terrifying scene, but an awesome scene. To stand there and see the holiness of God on display and the holiness of God declared. The holiness of God as we begin to look and just take in this scene, this vision that Isaiah is seeing, as we understand what God's holiness is, it means that he is set apart from all creation. Last week we talked about that God is supreme over all creation, but God is also holy and set apart from all creation. And we often, when we talk of the holiness of God, think of his moral purity. We think of God that in God there is no inkling of falsehood. There's no minute hint of wrong. That he, is the, he exists in absolute and total moral purity. That he is perfect, without blemish. That he is the essence and definition of everything that is good and righteous, holy. Yet God's holiness doesn't only refer to that. That is absolutely true. Who is holy like the Lord? There is none. He is perfect in every way. But God's holiness also speaks to his other thanness, to his creation, that he is not like us. We, we shouldn't think of God as if he were one of us, but just maybe a little bit bigger and stronger and uh, more powerful and more good than we are. God is utterly different than us. Before creation ever came into being, God was. God exists outside time, as we talked about even last week. He is not dependent on anything. He is not dependent on anyone. He has no weakness. He has no need to sustain him as we do. He is completely unlike us. And that is why the angels, even though they are without sin, even though they are full of their own glory, their own beauty and magnificence, even they shield themselves before such a holy God. Because what created being could stand before a God who brought all things into existence? By the mere word of his power. God is so holy. You might remember Exodus 33. In Exodus 33, uh, that's when Moses has this conversation with the Lord on Mount Sinai, remember, and he, he asked the Lord, would you let me see your glory? And the Lord's response was, I can't let you do that. You know that no man can see my face and live. So he tucks Moses in a rock and he covers him uh, with his hand and he passes by and lets Moses see just the backside of God's glory. And if you remember what happened then is uh, a chapter later, Moses descends from the mountain. He goes down among the people. And what does it say? His face beaming, glowing because of the glory of God. So that, and this is the wild part of it, the people of Israel were afraid to even come close to Moses. 
This God that we serve is so holy, so magnificent, that those who perceive of his glory, they, they beam in that very real sense. Now, it's not that we're going to walk out of this place today and our face is glowing and people are going to look at us and be like, oh my goodness, and turn your brights down as you drive down Route 30. But God's holiness is so significant, so intense. But we don't often recognize or, or come aware that that's the holiness of God that we are coming before. That that magnificent God We've kind of created God to be some, uh, uh, some God that we can come and approach casually or just comfortably, just as we are, just as we go. But for Isaiah and his uh, contemporaries, that would have been foreign to them because God's being set apart was very physical to them. That they didn't just show up to church to come into the sanctuary and sing some songs and open God's word and study it together. But when they would go to the temple to worship, there were places they could not even enter because they were holy. They couldn't just enter into the holy place. That's where the priests went in to minister. You couldn't just waltz into the holy of holies where the presence of God dwelt. Because even there, only the one person, the high priest, would go in once a year and not without making proper atonement for himself before entering in. So the very setup of how the, the people of Israel would come to worship God declared to them, reminded them with visible and very real, in very real, real ways that God is holy. You don't just casually approach this God. But you come before him with preparation. You come before him with a contrite heart. I was convicted by that a little bit this week. That man, when I come to church to gather with God's people, what is my preparation? What's your preparation? Most Sundays for me, I get up, I take a shower, I put my clothes on, I maybe have to iron a shirt or something, I, I gather my things, I walk out the door, I walk across town just a couple blocks, and I'm, I look at the trees, listen to the birds, I brave the cold weather, and I get to the church, and I start unlocking doors and turning things on. It's, our preparation for Sunday could be very easily just become, just go through a routine. And I was challenged when you come, it's not just even prepping a sermon, but preparing our hearts to come before a holy God. Because He is holy in every way. Our minds can't begin to fathom the extent of His holiness. That the, if you'd call them, allowed the theophanies where, where God gives a glimpse of his holiness to his people throughout scriptures, each and every time it brings people to fear and trembling. That's our holy God. He is set apart from all his creation. Not just us. Not just the, the beasts of the field and the, the plants and the, the, the universe itself. He is set apart from the angelic beings that even they worship him. He is holy in every way. You'll notice that as Isaiah sees the, the holiness of God, 
His perception, verse 5, is this. The response is, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Last week I used a quote from A.W. Tozer saying that uh, we ought to learn to see God more nearly as he is. And as we do, the only proper response is that then we will begin to see ourselves more nearly as we are. We may walk around with our chest puffed out and our shoulders high and feeling pretty good about ourselves. When we compare ourselves in the mirror of the holiness of God, what response do we have but Isaiah's, woe is me. I got to play a little bit of golf this week and I had a pretty good round. And then I go and I watch guys like, you know, Tiger Woods and I'm like, who am I? what, What am I bringing to the golf course? Nothing. And that's just a silly game of golf. Isaiah, you imagine Isaiah being probably a pretty upright guy, and here he comes before the, before the holy God, and he doesn't say, okay, well, I'm a little out of my element. I'm a little out of my league. He's like, woe is me. Woe is me. It was seeing the king, the Lord of hosts, that brought him to a deep and profound sense of his own unworthiness. I am a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips. It's not even as Isaiah goes in, he, he hears the song of the angels, holy, 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 as we even just sung a little bit ago, is the Lord of hosts. And he joins in that song. He says, I, what is my mouth that I could join in proclaiming the holiness of God? Who am I that I could declare how holy and awesome is our God? What words could I say that could convey how wonderful God is? If you were to bring all of the eloquence and beauty of language, we could not begin to scrape the surface of how beautiful God's holiness is, how intense His holiness is. I am a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips, completely aware that I have no place in and of myself. He doesn't join the song. Nor does Isaiah go and and rally around trying to cleanse his lips and clean his mouth and and trying to make himself holy so that he could join in this hope. All he does is pronounce a self-inflicted, woe is me. I've seen God, the Lord of hosts. You almost wonder if you could join with the psalmist then from Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you would care for him. When we know and and understand the pure holiness of God, who am I? Who are we that you think of us? Who are we that you care for us? Who are we that you sent your Son to take on flesh like us? What is man that you're mindful of him? What is the Son of Man that you would care? Spurgeon, I love how he puts it, says that being undone 
before God is not a bad place to be. Being undone before God is not a bad place to be. For God, he says, will, not, will never do anything with us till he has first of all undone us. He will never do anything with us till he has first of all undone us. You see an example of it here. And now, the beautiful thing is that the, the, the vision doesn't end with verse 5 and Isaiah proclaiming this woe on himself, but you move into verses 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphim flew and he took, takes this coal burning from the altar and he touches Isaiah's mouth with it. And the holiness of God as we look at it here in this, uh, this scene, this vision reminds us that we must be cleansed and we must be consecrated. The holiness of God is our, our total conviction as we see him as he truly is. We see ourselves as we truly are. And then it reminds us that we cannot do that on our own. We cannot in our own strength go and make ourselves holy. So what does a holy God do with an unholy people? Does he merely deny his justice and forget the unholiness of mankind? Would God deny his wrath to extend love to those that he created in his likeness? Would he deny his righteousness to show mercy to lesser beings? This picture in verses 6 and 7 reminds us that it's none of those things. If we take the, uh, this burning coal and what the angel declares in verse 7, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And we take that in the context of Scripture. We know it points to the finished work of Christ on the cross. That God, God did not merely leave us as we were, nor did he just forget about it, but great lengths were gone to make us holy. That we now as Christians come before the throne of grace with confidence. I can't wrap my head around that. The blessing that we can come before, I can go before the throne of grace with confidence. Not fear and trembling, and not in and of myself, not because I come in the name of Jeremy Anderson, not because I can bring a list of things that says, here's what I've done that gives me right to stand before this throne, not because I can bring a list of things, here's what I've not done, but because I come pleading one name, and that's the name of Jesus. That his blood has cleansed me from all unrighteousness. That his blood has sprinkled me clean from a, a mind, a guilty conscience. That his righteousness has been bestowed upon me. And so I don't come in any way in my own confidence. I come with confidence in Christ. That what he has accomplished has cleansed me and has consecrated me. So therefore now those of us who are in Christ are holy. The Apostle Paul, I always love, that writes to the, the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians and calls them saints. Do you know the word saint is the same word that's used for holy? He calls them the holy ones. 
And then go and read the book of 1 Corinthians and tell me just how holy it seems that they are. But they're holy not because of what they have done or aren't doing. They are holy because of Christ's blood. You and I are holy because of Christ's blood. We've been made holy where we could not make ourselves. And so let us abandon the tendency to think that we have any merit in ourselves that, man, I had a pretty good week this week. I didn't struggle with that temptation. I didn't give in to my anger. I had my priorities pretty well set so I can come with some confidence that I'm doing pretty good. Your confidence is always and ever only Christ. And that will be your confidence for all of eternity. Not in yourself. There is no work that we may boast, but we may boast in the fact that we have eternal life. And eternal life is this, that we may know the only true God in Jesus Christ whom he sent. That is our boast. That is our brag. And so no, God did not look at an unholy people as a holy, holy, holy God and just forget his justice or forget his righteousness. He did not lower the bar to let us in. He met the bar in Christ. At the cross, the fullness of God's wrath was poured out against sin. At the cross, the righteousness of God was displayed. At the cross, the mercy of God is extended to the lowly because Jesus himself bore the wrath of God on our behalf. God is true, and him being true means that he will not deny who he is. And so he laid aside no aspect of his character, no aspect of his nature to bring us into the fold, but it was all fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we come before him thankful, grateful, humbled for the life that we have. Because now, because of him, we are holy. So Peter writes to uh, Christians and says, As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So this summer, as we talk about what it means to follow Christ, don't minimize following Christ to mere tactics. Don't minimize following Christ to a list of do's and don'ts and, and morality as if Christianity is so concerned with moralism. Let following Christ be that we are learning more and more and more of who God is. That we are enamored with how great and awesome our God is. And then we live holy in all of our conduct because He has set us apart. He has taken us from darkness and placed us into light. I love how Peter uh, sums up just a few verses later. He's saying that God has made us a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He says that once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have. So be holy not because you're just trying to be a good person, but because God's made you holy. And that affects everything. There is no compartment of life that that does not touch. Your marriage, your children, your vocation, your priorities, your budget. 
your intentions, your thoughts, your passions, every bit of life has now been made holy because you are a new creation in Christ. So be holy. Because the one who has called us is holy, holy, holy. And we now in Christ, as we learned in Ephesians chapter 4, are created in the likeness of God. We have his character, his holiness, his righteousness. He defines us, not us, not our world. Be holy, for God is holy.